Hey everyone, this is Socratic Hobbits, a podcast where Kyle Morse and me, Daniel Hayward, try to ask big questions and then answer them. Sometimes we stay on topic. Thanks for listening. This week's puzzler comes to us from Click and Clack the Tappet Brothers. Thank you, Tom and Ray. Uh, the fair maiden Rowena wishes to wed, and her father, the evil king Morseward, has devised a plan to drive off suitors. He has a little quiz for him, and here it is. It's pretty simple. Three boxes sit on a table. The first is made of gold, the second of silver, and the third of lead. Inside one of these boxes is a picture of the fair maiden. It is the job of the white knight to figure out, without opening them, which one has her picture. Now, to assist him in this endeavor, there is an inscription on each of the boxes. The gold box says, the maiden's picture is in this box. The silver box says, the picture is not in this box. The lead box says the picture is not in the gold box. Only one of the statements is true. Which box holds the picture? Okay. How does that sound? You sound you sound lovely. I'm done messing around with that. What, okay, perfect, perfect. It is what it is. Yeah, you know you sound great. Did you not did you not like how you sounded in the most recent episode? You're like, I gotta change some stuff. No, it just my uh, my microphone setup got rearranged by my son, and so I wasn't I wasn't confident that it was in a good spot. Mm. Was he? Did you did you start him recording podcasts pretty early? You know, I bet he would enjoy doing that for about two minutes, and then he'd be off to the next thing. But then it'd just be a two-minute episode. It would be. <laughs> we could we could record an episode of him playing chess with me, which basically consists of me setting up the board for him, him asking if he can move his king, mm-hmm. and then me explaining, one, you have a bunch of pawns. Your king is surrounded by pieces, so you can't move it. Mm-hmm. Two, you don't really want to move your king. But it's yeah. a tall. I think it's the tallest piece, and so that's why he he just goes. This is the piece I want to move everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to get my king to kick your king's butt. I think what... I just want to see the king move around the board. Oh, okay. Does he watch you and you and your wife play? And he's like, that seems good. No, I've been playing some online because Chess.com sent me a. Uh... <sighs> Their advertisement worked. It did. Well, what they did is they gave me a free month of um, a membership, which okay. basically means the, the only reason the membership is cool is because they'll analyze games you play against people online. Huh. And so you can play the game and then it will go through and say, you made a mistake here. That was a good move. This was a blunder. You missed a win here. Hmm. Stuff like that. That's really interesting. Um my father-in-law, I asked him, we were down in North Carolina here a few weeks ago, and um, he, I don't know, we ended up talking about chess. I have no idea why. It's not something that often comes up. Um, and he doesn't play chess, but plays, I think it's from chess.com, but he plays their like puzzle, chess puzzles. It's like where you start, oh, yeah. out, in a, start out in a position and yeah. um, there's not usually a ton of different ways to win, but there's many fewer pieces on the board many much fewer i don't know how I'd say yeah. That. yeah yeah so they have a daily puzzle yeah that must be and it basically you try and figure out it's generally either there's checkmate and a few moves if you move the right piece first or you can get yourself in a much better position than you were originally that sort of thing cool and then they also have a little video if you can't figure it out that explains the game generally they come from an actual game that was played Okay. And so they give you some backstory for what was happening in the game. Um, the one I remember in particular, they were talking about this was this chess masters uh, later in his career. So he wasn't necessarily at the top of his game, but he still had some really creative um, ideas and, and could play a really beautiful game. And, and so it, it walked you through how he moved his pieces in this way that you would think would lose some pieces, but because of how the board was set up, it actually forced the opponent's king into a position where checkmate was inevitable. Hmm. So a lot of it's thinking like 
three to five moves out. Yeah. How does this move make it impossible for anything to happen other than what I want to happen in three to five moves? I feel like I've heard that people who are grandmasters don't think in three to five moves. They think in 20 moves. Is that accurate? Is that... I'm I'm sure that is accurate. The the puzzles I've seen are generally three to five moves long. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. And do you play those? Just a couple times. I mean, it was just this month. So. Okay. Have you uh, have you been getting into Wordle? I don't know what that is. Oh man, it's taken the U.S. by storm. And there's a little interesting, like I'm gonna say, end to the arc that makes it fun and interesting. So this guy. Um, made this word game for his in the story that i've read i've read it a few different places his partner uh-huh. I, I don't know who um and uh made it in october and okay. that person shared it with a few people in but i think by like november a couple hundred thousand people were playing it uh-huh. and it's just on this guy's website um and he had decided not to put any ads up. He was a programmer for Reddit, among other things. He's just, he's very, apparently ah. he's very good at what he does. Um, the Reddit it, connection helps the viral well, marketing side of it. Sure, sure. I Well, he doesn't work there anymore, um, but knows how the system works. And yeah, yeah, could have, but I don't think that he was intending to make this a big, fee, a big thing. Uh-huh. Um, but... By the end of December, I think several million people were playing it daily. Um, still no ads, had no intentions of uh, making any advertisements. And I don't know what the final thing was when New York Times bought it, but they purchased the game from him for an undisclosed amount in the low seven figures. So he made something. Nice. And six months later, or five months later, made pretty good amount of money um and they said initially it will remain free and my family we play and you can it's like set up so that when you share with someone else after your um after you beat the day's puzzle it Uh blanks out all of the um all the letters so that but it shows it basically shows you how well shows others how well you guessed or if you had like a We've had a few times where it's been frustrating. It's like there's so many different combinations of five, five letter words that uh-huh. one day I got like this. I got four of the five letters correct four times in a row because I it was like might write sight kite or not kite that one doesn't work. But there was like a a bunch of different words that end in I G H T. Anyway, but every. Every puzzle is just five letters and it tells you which letters you get correct and if they're in the right spot. And yeah, I would highly, I don't know. It was, it's been pretty fun. How'd you find out about it? That is a good question. Oh, that's kind of weird. I think I saw, what's that? Oh, that's interesting. I, I was saying that's kind of weird that you don't even remember. Yeah. I think it was a news story. It was like, I think it was like this new popular word game. And then I went and checked it out. And it was nice that there were no advertisements. It felt kind of, I don't know. It was just fun. I was probably, it was right around the time that I got back from North Carolina. Oh, so so this is pretty recent. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been, I've only played, uh, I've only been playing for two weeks. So it's very recent. But like I suggested it to my, I asked my sister and my mom if they had ever played. And then I just one day sent a my score to a text with my mom, my sister, my brother-in-law, and my wife. And every day since then, every single one of them has responded with their score as well. Interesting. So I do it. I, I basically do it in the morning over coffee. So this is a habit you've maintained for two weeks. That's right. It's a habit now. It's actually replaced a different habit that I was not as big a fan of. Which was checking email and weather. Well, I mean, I still maybe look at the weather in the morning over coffee. But I had a couple newsletters that came into my inbox most days. And uh-huh. um, yeah, I just have gone news light. 
and I still, well, actually, no, I haven't even this last week. I haven't even been looking at the news and gosh, my life is still, it's still okay. It's been, yeah, it's been all right. Who would have thought? It works. <laughs> it works. Yeah. It was 11 degrees when I left for work this morning. Uh, Fahrenheit? Yeah. That's chilly. Did you walk or yeah. did you ice skate? I, it wasn't quite thick enough to ice skate. <laughs> did you curl there? It was probably thick enough to do that if I hadn't had some sort of traction device on my feet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you watching the Olympics? They're coming up. No. Oh, you know what'd be cool is if the person who won the gold was wearing a, a you know, like their phone on their neck. Well, I think they, I wouldn't be surprised if they've started putting cameras into the suits of some of those like skiers and stuff. Yeah. Or just on the helmet, actually. They just put Oh, on yeah. The they would just do it on the helmet. That, that seems perfectly fine. Although they might, I, one, I think they, if they don't do it this year, then they're probably never going to because it probably doesn't make very good videos. No, I've seen videos of guys doing, like just putting a GoPro on uh-huh. and doing a downhill run. It's pretty and cool. And it is awesome to watch. Okay. Okay. Well, huh. Because I feel like I've never seen it before. The key is it has to be integrated into the helmet. So it can't be something on top because it needs to have the same wind mm. or aerodynamics. So what it'd be is like it'd be built into the very front of the helmet and then smoothed over so that it was mm. – there, there was no impact to the aerodynamics of the helmet. Do you think that that really makes – it must. Or they think it does and so it does. I mean the difference between – well, there, there are a couple things that go on there. One is you're so streamlined, especially on the downhill, you're so streamlined. Like where you're racing? Well, the, well, the downhill is a particular race. Right. Okay. You're, you're going like 80 miles an hour. That's very quick for a human. Yeah. So any little perturbation in like the camera shifting on your head or something yeah. on a tight turn is going to potentially put you in a dangerous situation hmm. um, because the reason you're going that fast is they, they, they salt the snow. So it melts a little bit. So it's basically an icy crust on top. So the only way you can turn is if your skis have a razor blade edge. Oh, I didn't know that. So that's why when people crash one, that they're going, it's, it's not so just fast. that they're going really fast. It's that they're crashing on really hard surface uh-huh. And then they've got knife blades that are popping off their feet and swimming around. Oh, is that why it's like a really high death rate for downhill skiers at the Olympics? I mean, Bode Miller ended up getting cut to the bone. Oh my goodness. It was on when his was cap, this? but it still, was, <laughs> I was joking, it was man. Two Olympics ago. <laughs> two or three uh, Olympics ago. By the way, can you shift your, um, your camera just just so I can see your other eye or so that I can see none. This half eye, like this cyclops, it just started weirding me out. That's better. I can shift it over. There you go. Perfect. Thank you. Huh. That's nuts and disgusting. And not untypical. Oh, really? Do um do people get hurt a lot more prior to the Olympics trying to get into the Olympics downhill skiing? That too. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, so so there's like a confluence of different things happening to make um, adding one more um, unknown or variable pretty dangerous or yeah. more. You know, you're you're trying to you're doing this very dangerous thing. You're trying as you the hardest that you can to mitigate risk as much as possible. And that's the fun thing about the downhill is that, yes, there's this risk mitigation factor, but it's also the guy who wins is the person who doesn't mitigate risk and gets away with it. Mm. Huh. That makes me think of um, Fooled by Randomness. It's hard to it's hard to not have because like you run that scenario. So one of the, one of the kind of ideas from that book is mm-hmm. if I run this scenario a thousand times, how many times? Do I end up a gold medalist, the gold medalist, right. not a gold medalist, the gold medalist for this right. event? And 
if you're really risk averse and the answer to that question is if i run this a thousand times i might only get it like 60 or 70 times well that's not a bet i actually want to make right but you are not a downhill skier no no so that's just kind of interesting um because that's helped me think through like yeah to just think through some problems and more more, I guess, of, of the kinds of things that, that, um, well, what's the author's name? Nassim Taleb. Yeah. Nassim Taleb. Um, uh, even some of the problems that he makes, it's like, it's just a different kind of mode of thinking than I've ever had before. Um, as far as, as far as risk, as far as, is this a good decision to make? Um, and not that I've, if I've used it, it's been kind of in the background, not necessarily like Oh, now it's time to to think through the problem this way. Right. So I've been reading a, another book that's pretty similar actually to Fooled by Randomness called How Not to Be Wrong. Hmm. Who's uh who's a buyer? What's the well is the premise how to not be wrong? It's it's basically about it's a book written by a math professor who writes popular articles. So he has both the side of his brain that can communicate with people mm-hmm. and the side of his brain that can do really abstract math. Hmm. What an interesting person, I bet. And so he takes that and applies it. So it's, I think it's Jonah Elberg, Ellsberg, something like that. Okay. He's, he's, he starts out just talking about, he talks about a little bit about number theory and, and calculus, and then he gets into probability pretty quickly and p-values and the times they work well and the times they don't work well and how that has an impact on like things that happen in culture and hmm. making decisions about kind of even the origin of things and, and that sort of thing. Hmm. It's a pretty fun book. Yeah. Is it short? It looks, I'm just, I like just Googled it. It is. It's, it's probably like 300 pages, man. That's typical. Um, Jordan, Jordan El- Ellenberg. Ellenberg. Yeah. So close, but, no cigar. That looks, uh, yeah, it looks like a fun book. Is it a quick read or is it something you've already gotten through? Um, I'm about halfway through it, but I haven't been reading it very consistently over the last couple of weeks. So I would say it's... A, so you have, you have not habituated. I would say it's a pretty quick read. It's, it's very easy to read, but there are also parts of it that I have reread multiple times. Mm, okay. Because I'm trying to make sure I understand what's happening in the math he's describing. Oh yeah. I would like he had a section on, um, on, on series and, um, infinite on, on infinite series and just how I'm already blanking on it, but it was, it was some fun stuff. It was some fun kind of trivia stuff with calculus that I'd never really gotten. And, uh, I'm still a little fuzzy on, but yeah, that's all right. Um, if you're having a hard time with it, as far as the math goes, I would probably just have to read it with the expectation that there's going to be a little bit that's either I can spend a long time on or I'm just not going to get. And and that section isn't isn't as important, I think, as the, the section I'm in right now on probability and just understanding. Okay, So he's using the example of um, is, does Facebook know you're a terrorist? And Facebook can can basically have a statistical model that says we think these people are n times more likely than the general population to be a terrorist. Okay. The and and that statistical model, model can be have a p value of less than 0.05 easily. All right. So a p a p value is significance. So you could have a significance of 0.01 and that would be like we're really confident, yeah? Right. Okay. But but he's 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 picking at the idea of significance and how our minds naturally go this is significant, therefore this is true. Mm. And 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 we subtly make that make that trade between significant and true without even realizing it and it gets us into problems. So for example with this Facebook terrorist example, he he makes this this four quadrant this chart with four quadrants and one quadrant is 
or one part of the quadrant is um, Facebook does not think you're a terrorist. The other is Facebook does think you're a terrorist. And then the top row is um, this person is actually a terrorist. And the bottom row is the person is not actually a terrorist. Okay. And he goes through the probabilities and demonstrates that if you have 200 million people on Facebook and you say there are 10,000 terrorists in the United States, Facebook's model, which is statistically significant, is going to select a thousand people who it thinks are terrorists. But the catch is that it won't necessarily, it, it doesn't have to label those thousand people out of the sample of 10,000 actual terrorists in order for the model to still have a significance of P less than 0.05. Okay. So, sorry, let me, let me try to understand. Also, your video is on and off stopped. I don't know if it's me or you. Uh, My wife is talking to someone on the phone. <gasps> That's all right. Uh, the other day when I was working from home, my wife was watching something on YouTube and I was trying to download something like a work file and it just stopped. Uh-huh. I was like, can you watch that later? She's like, eh, it's almost done. All right. Uh, so we're thinking about upgrading. We haven't decided here. I'll just, I'll just draw it on the whiteboard, but you're stopped again. I, I, I followed you audio wise and that's how most of our listeners are going to, you know, intake this content. Right. In fact, you're still, you've got your eyes closed. You're sitting in front of the camera. Anyway, so. That's interesting that it still stopped. And now it just started again. Um, It was waiting for you to say that. So if somebody, or rather if the Facebook algorithm is more than 95% sure that you're a terrorist. Okay, you're drawing this out for me. This is not going to help anybody who is listening, Kyle. We got to talk. Well, this will help me talk through it for you. Okay. All right. So you got, I'll just describe everything I'm seeing. Um, There's a terrorist and a not terrorist and a line in the middle and a thousand next to the terrorist. This is terrible, man. All of this is going to get cut. So it's picking a thousand out of a hundred thousand. Are you still drawing Kyle? Yeah. Something like that is something like, so when you subtract these out, you end up with like, Oh no no! See, it's it's stopped on the terrorist thousand, not one hundred thousand. I guess I guess the the general point is that Facebook is going to label far more people as terrorists than actually even are terrorists. Mm. And and it, and it could still have that p value of less than and exactly okay because the number of terrorists in the country is such a small number of the overall population. And so when you have um, a really small population of something in your population, you have to be really careful with using significance to determine whether something is something or not. Whether something is true or not? Or likely? Well, you can't use significance to determine if something is true. This is point. It's not that you have to be careful. You just have to be highly suspicious and... Um, look for perhaps significance can give you a direction or reduce your the area that you're looking in but it, it can't it can't make the final determination right the other fun thing about it that that he talked about was or another fun thing he talked about was how if you look at um science papers mm-hmm. or papers that are published in scientific journals uh-huh. and you if 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 science was operating the way you think it would be, you'd kind of have a lot of papers with um, P values close to zero. And then kind of as you, as you went down towards 0.05, there would be fewer papers that were published. And then it'd sort of like, there'd be a cutoff at 0.05 since that's sort of the standard. Okay. But what you see instead is that there's this peak right at 0.05. Is that's because that's what people are aiming for. Exactly. Huh. Yeah, I um I don't know this other podcast that I was listening to that kind of pointed out the replication crisis which I think I've talked about 
on ours somewhat recently. Um, but it was I, right. I've talked with you about this. I, th- I think it's been a while, but that's basically what he gets into is how when okay. people actually go to replicate experiments, they can't do it, but you don't publish that something couldn't be done. Mm-hmm. And so no one ever finds out that this grand experiment about what coffee does to you has actually been falsified 10 times and we're only, or 20 times. And we're only seeing the one experiment out of 20 that got it, that got the significant result. Yeah. So something that was kind of interesting when I was, uh, I was listening to him talk about it more and they were particularly interested in, um, thinking fast and slow by Daniel Kahneman. Uh huh. Um, because he references so many studies. He actually like he he speaks so strongly in this book as if the like these social science experiments are gospel. Like he right. is honestly he he says something to the to the effect of like you cannot ignore these if you any part of you believes like the truth of any any part of science or something. I don't know. He, I don't know how he says it. He says it very, very strongly. Um, and many of those experiments, it wasn't that, that there was never any published. Well, it may be that there isn't any published now that as I'm saying this out loud, but many of the experiments that are referenced never even, there's no record of anybody even trying to replicate them for a long time, which is kind of, shows you that there's you know in science and i think just as people we we don't want for thing like it's boring to verify information that's not actually a job that i would want to verify information all the time i would rather find out something new there's this novelty thing that we're like that we're kind of drawn to because a lot of times if something piques our interest it's because it's 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 a way for our brain to signal that that's important but so it's like these experiments were run there's like oh this is really interesting piece of information but it turns out it's just like well if you you know uh have if you run that experiment 20 times one time is going to get you the p-value you're looking for to publish yeah uh 538.org did this thing where you could it was related to this um, and you could come up with it, it like searched, I'm not exactly sure how they did it, but you could play around with different parameters after the fact with a bunch of data uh-huh. and you could come up with solutions like, or not solutions, but, uh, significantly stati- statistically significant experiments, but you're just you're just basically hacking data, right? You're just using data uh-huh. from other experiments. Or it's like the color of the jelly bean in the, you know, the more yellow jelly beans in the president's uh, candy dish meant that the stock market went up or something like that. Right. Something, you know, is completely, you know, th- something that if you said that to somebody, they'd be like, you're a moron. Like that has nothing to do with that. <laughs> and, right. and it's obvious, you know, it was just kind of, interesting correlation is not yeah yeah exactly exactly so um how do we get on that we were talking about fooled by randomness and then we were talking about the the how to not to be wrong the power of mathematical thinking oh yeah yeah yeah. okay well i know you had wanted to talk about these epiphany lectures by i really wanted to make a joke and say it was like joe rogan but that's silly (laughs) (laughs) joe rogan doesn't do religion (laughs) no he doesn't uh, he does other things though. Anyway, Joe I was Rigney. With a, yeah, I was joking with a friend of mine who texted uh his brother and I that uh John MacArthur. He goes to John MacArthur's church and he said J Mac just mentioned Jordan Peterson. He's he's uh coming coming up with the times or so, something like that. And it was right around the time that Peterson had recently been on Rogan, so so relatively recently. And then I asked. So does that mean that MacArthur is going to get on Rogan too? Is this like a sneak peek? And uh, his his brother said, "Well, Rogan, that would be that would be really cool, but also Rogan doesn't really seem that interested in talking religion." So, oh, yeah, no, he doesn't. Although I haven't honestly, like since he since he switched to Spotify, 
I don't think I've listened to a single podcast of his. Like, I don't like listening to podcasts on Spotify okay. at all. And yeah, he's recently like, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. There's this whole like spat with Joe Rogan and these other artists. What's that? Neil Young. Neil Young. Well, there's there's a couple more that signed on. Yeah, there are a couple more that signed that, on. That took their music off of Spotify or whatever. And I don't know. It's like, I guess... I guess part of me is like, I, I very, very much don't care, <laughs> but yeah. it's still like interesting to see people just like argue about, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how that came across my feed. If I haven't been watching the news though, maybe it was, maybe it was right about two weeks ago. Before you started Wordle the turtle. Before I started Wordle. Actually, the, I think the guy's name is Josh Wordle, W-A-R-D-L-E. And so it was kind of a play off his name. Anyway. What's that? Polish? Uh, yeah, maybe. Sounds like know. an Eastern Europe. Well, we'll leave for the listeners to let us know in the comments or something. Um, do you want to talk about hymns or epiphany? The epiphany lectures. Oh, I guess it did start out with hymns. Oh, I started yeah, out with I hymns. I was just curious. Then... How far did you get through the scattered notes that I posted? Oh, I got through lecture lecture two. I was thinking okay. about them, so I didn't get very far. So there's. It looks like there's. Are there five here? There, there are three, or there are four, but the third one was the one, the third and fourth one were actually the ones I got the most out of. Well, you should have said that. Yeah, no, I didn't. I was like, oh, maybe I did get, and I just didn't remember. Nope. Uh, I got, I started to read lecture three. I was really focused at... Or I guess the third and fourth ones were the ones I found most applicable. Ah, uh, I see. Most, I mean, there was applicable stuff in all of them. It was just sort of the ideas were one were ideas that I, especially the third one was an idea I'd been very interested in recently. And then he talked about it. And so that made me really excited. I took way more notes on that one than I did on the other three. Mm. Yeah. Lecture four, you, uh, it's hardly a page, man. Yeah. Using your touch. Uh, well, okay. So, so what's the kind of backstory? So these are the epiphany lectures. Was that this weekend, the weekend before? Um, it was this, Past weekend. Okay. Didn't Epiphany... It was... Well, it was Friday and then Saturday morning. Oh, so it's like it goes right. from the Christmas season to... Epiphany. Epi- Epiphany. And then... Lent. And then are we in Lent now? Um, I don't know when Lent starts exactly. I mean, it starts right right as Epiphany ends, right? I don't think there's any gaps so in the church. We probably are starting yeah. Lent here. Um, Well, when's Mardi Gras? Isn't that isn't that right at the March. beginning? No, is it the beginning? Yeah, it is the beginning because it's like you get everything out, and starve. Well, but only for six days at a time. You can manage. Maybe it is Tuesday. Maybe it was yesterday. I actually don't remember. March second. Oh, it is March. So maybe Epiphany goes till then. Possibly. I mean, church. I'm sure there's different ones. It's really important that we know right this second. Well, that's uh, the power of the internet. Yeah, that's right. Epiphany starts on Jan sixth. And well, I don't know. This one doesn't say. That's stupid. Doesn't say when it ends. No. I'm just gonna look at the images instead of. Oh, that's interesting. What? Per Wikipedia. Uh huh. And this colors of the Christian year. There is ordinary time, which is considered the time after Pentecost and before Advent. Some about six months. I've heard of that called Trinity season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Oh no, you go, yeah, there's a, there's like an ordinary time and that is time after Epiphany and before Lent. Okay. Yeah. And then there's Pentecost. The season of Easter is quite uh, significant as well between Lent and Pentecost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, so this pastor, uh, Pastor Joe Rigney, who, or professor doctor i think he's primarily a professor although he does preach at bethlehem from time to time yeah okay Um, he had one uh in the fourth lecture he had a story about the first time he can remember preparing a sermon when john piper was going off to a conference and uh he had a funny story about um pastor john giving him some advice on his sermon oh yeah was it nice should, do you want me to just tell you the story? 
Yeah. Tell, yeah. Tell us the story, Kyle. Tell us the story. Yeah. So, so Joe is preparing his first sermon to give to give to Bethlehem, and, and pretty excited about it. And is is actually it was a sermon kind of on the, the same topic as the things of Earth, the book that he wrote that formed the the subtext for the four lectures listened to um, this past weekend. And it was about how God reveals himself through the good things of life and um, through the joys of life. And, and so he was talking about, he, he said he was talking about cake and Dr. Pepper and <laughs> spring baseball games. And cause he's a, he's a baseball fan. And um, he said it was, it was kind of funny. He, looking back on it, it's kind of funny. Cause, cause like John Piper had just preached a ser- sermon on like, the, the, just the glory. Think the first passage in Ephesians and 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 the tremendous glory of God. And he said, and I'm talking about Dr. Pepper. And so, <laughs> it's sort of like, yeah. But, um, John was walking by uh, the door to the conference room that he was working on a sermon, where he's where Joe was working on a sermon. And he said, "Oh, Pastor John, can you come in here and kind of give me give me your thoughts on this sermon." And and so he was he was he was very excitedly walking. I mean, he was, he was probably about our age at the time. Oh, walking, so just, uh, a, just a young dumb kid, huh? Through his through his sermon that he's prepared, and and talking about yeah, cake and spring baseball and Dr Pepper, and 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 he's going, John, don't don't you think this is great? Isn't this <laughs> isn't this wonderful? Isn't this great? And Piper just looks at him and and. In, in the words of Joe Rigby, in the most Piper way possible, said, yeah, until you're dead. <laughs> uh, and then walked out. <laughs> and oh my and so he, Joe said that he uh, rewrote his sermon a little bit after that. Yeah, he rewrote he realized it realized there were bit. some parts that were might might be missing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember a friend of ours, <laughs> he met John Piper and he found out that our our buddy was from Portland. Yeah. Or, or he was at some kind of conference and was like, "So what do you what do you love about your city?" Yeah. And our friend was like, "I don't really like the city." <laughs> 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 Which is pretty antithetical to like John Piper. What's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and <laughs> he just like dumbfounded him. And yeah. so he had this like this, you know, John John Piper, this guy who really affected this person's theology. He like he got his five to ten seconds with him and just ate it. <laughs> ate it. Yeah, it's great. Uh, anyway, well, yeah, I was actually I've been listening to the after this we can get we can we can jump back, but I was listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Have you heard of this? podcast i think this is the third time you told me about it well so you have heard about it is what it sounds like it's it's starting to (laughs) i think three people have told me about it it's uh it's heartbreaking for one um and two there are some kind of different areas in my life where i've been able to recognize like oh there's there's a person that rubbed me the wrong way in the Christian world and I could never really put my finger on it. And, and then I started to see some similarities between the leadership at Mars Hill and somewhat with one instance, particularly Mark Driscoll. Um, and, and even some similarities like, I didn't, yeah. So it was just like, it allowed me to take a, to kind of see things with a different lens um, and it was also kind of hard. I mean, I, I know, I would say that I listened for a while. I listened to Mark Driscoll and then I had some important people in my life tell me that I was being, um, too hot headed and, 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 sh- uh, like chauvinistic or, um, basically viewed, viewed women wrong, um, in the way that I talked about them and to them. And so I had recognized that that feedback had come kind of as I was listening to Mark 
Driscoll Moore, and so I I stopped, and that was like in two thousand. I don't know, whatever it was. Um, but it's a, yeah. It made me think of John Piper and like who, you know, some of the really long-standing like Christian men in ministry who are who have some spotlight, and it's just really obvious that John Piper seems like at least at least from you know from a thousand feet back seems like he really really doesn't care what you think about him but he really really cares about what you think about god yep so and i think that's really really important for someone to be in the limelight like that yeah i also like him and tim keller both like they didn't really get into the limelight until they were in their like late 50s 60s, 60s yeah i guess i mean piper was Publishing stuff that people were noticing. I mean, he wrote Desiring God when he was much younger, but like Mark Driscoll went from a church of, you know, three to 500 to thousands in, I don't know, a, a pretty short amount of time. Yeah. Um, like they were the first church to really have a podcast and it. Yep. And he's, he's a very good communicator, or at least an engaging one. Yeah. Um, so. What were you, you were going to say something else before I, uh, I think well, that I, was a really good, I think observation about Piper and what has, um, led to his longevity Yeah, in one place. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's easy. I don't know. I, I get the impression that he, I think I've heard him talk about it, but he like, he lives in a small house and walks to, he walked to church most of the time and, um, like he seems like he lives a very humble life. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so as far as these lectures go, you get that's that's good uh, background as far as like who Joe Rigney is and how he at least had some of the background for for these lectures. Um, right. It comes out of that Christian hedonism mentality that John talks about. Yeah, I definitely noticed that as I. I think before I recognized that Joe Rigney was, I think I Googled him uh-huh. and then I saw that he was a pastor or professor at Bethlehem college. Um, he even talks like some of his vocal inflections are Piper-esque. Yeah. Which is sort of funny. Yeah. I heard a pastor who I was, it was really obvious had been really affected by David Platt. Who's a pastor of a mate. I've heard of that. I've heard that name. He's a pastor over in uh, Washington, DC. He's a, uh, okay. he's a, He's a very good speaker. He's relatively young, but he, um, yeah, he just, the, the vocal inflections were really similar and it was, it was stunning to me how, yeah. how similar they spoke. Um, but that's all right. Um, uh, so do you want to talk about, let's just talk about lecture three. So, I mean, we can, you could, you could give a very brief overview of the first two lectures if you wanted, or we could just jump straight into if it. If I can remember them, um, lecture one, You've got your notes if you want. Yeah, you've got the notes in front of you. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't log in to see them. <laughs> okay. But but I think it is helpful to start with kind of that, that initial question that he asks in each lecture because that, that really sets – I think he did a pretty good job of setting the stage with those questions. Do you want me to read those questions? Yeah. Uh, so why did God make the world and fill it with pleasures? And right. He's talking about the two hymns to start off with, Turn Your Eyes, mm-hmm. and This Is My Father's World. Right, because This Is My Father's World talks about how God is revealed through his creation. And then the the first hymn talks about how creation is dim relative to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And when we look at scripture, both of those things are true. So as he was going through the, the talk, it was, okay, how do these things fit together? Um, us desiring to be with Jesus as our ultimate good and destination and rejoicing and enjoying, truly enjoying God's creation and truly seeing him through it. And, and, and really the, the truly seeing God through his creation um, was sort of the, I think the, the piece that knit those two ideas together that he, he was talking about Psalm 19 and how the psalmist uses 
the metaphor where he's looking at the sun rising and talks about how the sun is like a, bl- a bridegroom and, and, and a warrior and then concludes t- talking about the sun and mm-hmm. points out later that um, Jesus in various places is referred to both as a bridegroom and as a warrior. And so when we see the sun, we don't just think about that thing that goes across this, that rises and sets. We think about Jesus and how he, he, he died and he rose again. And in his rising, his light, um, the light of his grace warms us and enables us to live the lives we have. And I think I'm definitely scattered here, but the, the first talk, the, the application I took out of that was to really look at um, the world through the lens of scripture and, and look for metaphors to help both myself and those around me um, see God more clearly. Yeah. And that's really, it's kind of our, our, our oldest son is at the point where he's now asking a lot of questions. And for example, he was asking about Jonah and cause I guess they had just read Jonah today at some point today and he's asking, why did, why did God discipline Jonah? And it was cool to be able to go and, and talk about like the plant that Jonah really liked and it provided shade for Jonah. And then God had the worm come and eat the plant and essentially disciplined Jonah by taking away his shade. But the discipline had, had the point of pointing out to Jonah that Jonah was loving the plant and his comfort more than all the people who God loved. And mm. so Jonah's sin, which is often my own sin, is loving the things that give me comfort more than people. Mm. So you didn't tell him? Because he didn't go to bed when his mother asked him to. Well, that's an example of how you love people when your mother oh, asks okay, you okay, to go to okay. bed. You show love to her <laughs> and respect by going to bed. Yeah. No, that's uh, that. And this world is chock full of those examples, and and that was the really excite one of the really exciting things to me about that talk was just mm-hmm. going. Oh man, when I'm walking to work in the morning and it's there's snow on the ground, I can think about the holiness of God because of the purity of the white snow. Sure. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons that I love, um, I love writing and reading really Mm -hmm. compelling stories is because oftentimes we see through other people's eyes, we can see metaphors like expanded into, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, expanded into something that like talks on a metaphysical level, like on a, this is this is a reality that we can't see as clearly as the, um, you know, as the food that we eat or the bed that we sleep in, but we know is there, and when we can, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just a, it's a beautiful thing when it's done really well when you see a community gather around someone and support them through a difficult time, or when. I get to share in the like joy that my sister and brother-in-law have in their son being healthy and, and, and growing and his laughter and like the, you know, cute pictures that they send me. And it's heartbreaking (laughs) at other times, right? When we have a friend of ours, um, like a family friend, like his wife, one of the, one of the kids wives, um, she passed away from some cancer and she's 20 she was 23 something like that and it was totally sudden and it's you know when we when we see these things in our life and and sometimes in fiction and sometimes in in reality it's it's all uh i don't know it's a lot of it's a metaphor that we can you know point to christ and point to god um so I yeah that's I mean that's part of yeah I feel like I I maybe went too far there or I I don't have the metaphor quite quite correctly or know how to talk about it with that that really difficult thing with my um 
with my family friend. Well, that's actually, I mean, not to skip to the end, but to skip to the end, yeah. the, the last talk is about suffering. Because mm. Joe said, you know, if I just talk about kind of like his sermon about Dr. Pepper and cake and baseball, mm-hmm. if, if I just talk about the good things of life, that's not all that exists in this world. And yeah. we're leaving a lot of people, including ourselves, at a loss as to how to handle the brokenness that is in this world. And so he, he defined, where, whereas um, self-denial was, I believe, the de- uh, you've got the definition there, but it was, it, was, it was giving up something for some greater good, biblical self-denial, giving up some good thing for a greater good. Um, generosity is giving up some good thing for the good of others. And then um, suffering is the involuntary loss of a good thing. Mm, And so in the case of the family friend there, they lost their daughter and she lost her life, which is the involuntary loss of a good thing. Yeah. And yeah, in that, in that final lecture, he, he dug into some of the biblical reasons um, why God allows suffering to exist, um, kind of the, the purposes of suffering. Um, he, he, he delved into some of the warnings about what can happen to us if, if we haven't prepared ourselves for suffering and um, admonished us to, before we're in suffering, really nail down our understanding of God's goodness and grace to us so that when we hit suffering, we can be like Job and say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because mm. he, he, he was really clear that if we haven't spent time learning the Psalms, learning scripture, getting into our bones, the, the fact, the truth, that God is good and beautiful, then we're we're going to be up a creek when we do hit those times of sufferings, suffering. Yeah, because we won't understand. Like, like we won't have any we won't have any framework built up for why God would take something good away from us. Well, especially if we've been valuing that thing mm-hmm. more than more than Jesus, because. Then Jesus takes away, you know, the toy that we thought what? thought we wanted, and then we're like, "Well, what do I have?" And he's like, "You have me." I'm like, "Well, but I don't want you." You know, like that's the real that's the real mm-hmm. response when when we value something more than God. Yeah, he had a really I think helpful definition of idolatry in, in kind of as counterexample and by example, or count like counter definition and definition. He said. Uh, Idolatry is not loving something too much. It's loving something in the place of something that ought to be loved. Hmm. So could you apply that outside of, I guess, what would it be called if your you should be loving your, um, I don't know, you should be loving your kid and instead mm-hmm. you're loving the performance of them related to something, you know, let's say you want you, you were. Oh, that's. That's, yeah. not, that's not idolatry, right? I wouldn't call it that, but it's the same idea it, kind of applies. It's the same idea. Yeah. Is there a name for that? Or he didn't really talk about it or you don't know? He didn't talk about that as much, although I think it's definitely applicable. It, it's basically loving the Ooh. the output, loving the fruit instead of the root. It's, it's disordered loves. That's a C.S. Lewis, I think, phrase. Uh-huh. And and Rigney is, I mean, Rigney wrote the book "Live Like a Narnian." He, he's very much influenced by Lewis. Yeah, um, has quotes. I think I put some of those quotes from Lewis in. I there. think you did. You even attributed to them. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I pre- I appreciate you breaking at least that. You know, I didn't mean to push us straight from one to four. Is there so uh, lecture three is about self denial and generosity, which you, you you did talk about a little bit. Um, I think I just gave the definitions. Yeah. Why did you think that that one, uh, ooh, 
This uh, one of these notes is is basically about how it's different than pagan asceticism. Um, yeah. Or I would say kind of the somewhat recent. Um, maybe it's not that recent. I don't know. I've I've heard it talked about more um, recently. But the living the Stoic life. Yeah, it's not. He mentions Stoicism as well. <laughs> yeah. So what's the? I mean, I think I think I could answer maybe answer the question, but from his How lecture. You, the question? you you have the notes in front of you. Well, no, but just the difference between pagan asceticism and Christian self denial. Uh, so, I think that so that's my question. Uh huh. It has to do with what's the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I think Stoicism and asceticism see you giving up not good things, but things that seem good for. They're almost like a way to protect yourself. Right. Whereas biblical self-denial is sometimes it's giving up things that you know aren't good, but seem good. Well, no, he, he actually says that's not self-denial. Oh, what is that? Self-control? No. Holiness is what he said. He said, giving up things that are not actually good is not self-denial. It's, it's holiness. Fine, Joe Rigney. <laughs> That, that was what he said. I mean, I mean, one of one of the points. No, that's that's the, good. One of the things I wanted to discuss here is is what, yeah, kind of how different things he said hit you. I don't like it, but I think that's correct. <laughs> because uh, it's really funny. So when I was younger, it was like me and you know I was, I don't know, we were just figuring stuff out. But you know, for Lent, we'd give up things like well. We we did Lent, not at my house, but with my friend group. I don't okay. know, a weird friend group. Um, or I remember at least talking about it. And it's like, you give up cigarettes or something. I didn't smoke. <laughs> <laughs> or like giving up like, uh, giving up something like um, eating out or like fast food in college. Uh, where it's like these things that I do that I don't think I actually should. Yeah. And I did some reading into it. And what you're supposed to do for the season of lent it's 40 days long but it actually takes place over uh six or seven weeks something like that Mm -hmm. more than 40 days if you do the math because there's in most weeks about about seven days um and what you do is you give up something that you love to be with jesus and then on sunday you partake of that thing in rejoicing in jesus Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't make sense to give up if you think you shouldn't be smoking. Giving up cigarettes is not a good thing to give up for Lent because then you're smoking with Jesus on Sundays. Right. It's supposed to be a fast. It's supposed to be giving up like a, like the most typical form of fasting is food. Yeah. Food is good. We need I, food. We should. Yeah. Everybody should. You should eat a certain amount every day. That's for sure. I, I think. Um, yeah. I. uh I think you're I think you're right as far as the self denial being it's so it's giving up good things. Truly good things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm. But it's not just giving it up, it's giving it up for the purpose of getting closer to an even better thing. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if I've ever practiced self denial except in fasting then. Like ever. I've practiced holiness. What about you? <laughs> Can you give me some examples? that are not fasting of self-denial? I mean, hmm. Which are, are typically short periods of time. I know right. somebody who fasted for like five or six days and they had to stop for medical reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's there are certain things that I don't, or I have not done on the Lord's Day mm. in an effort to avoid distraction. Like texting me back? Good things. <laughs> Actually, yeah. <laughs> If I text you about the podcast, you just ignore me until Monday. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. I know that's a boundary for you, not because you told me, but because I know that if I text you about the podcast, I think you've texted <laughs> me once about the podcast on a Sunday and I was like, what's wrong with him? Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, but yeah, no, that's, that's a good, uh, I think that's probably the clearest example in my mind is, is there, there are things that I don't do on, on Sundays because they would distract from what's 
better and more important. And mm-hmm. it's not that they aren't good things. They aren't things I that are very lawful to enjoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just that that's the wrong time. It's like, right. it's good to connect with other people, but if you're texting somebody while you're having dinner with your family, exactly. you're, doing, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know? um, he had the example of, well, he also talked about this concept in our culture of encore, especially with with YouTube or Netflix, where you can just basically go to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, um, which prevents us from ever uh, meditating on mm-hmm. what we've observed, and it prevents us from ever needing patience mm. before we um, encounter something. And he pointed, he had this analogy, which I think I put in the notes there about not drowning ourselves in lemonade. Because lemonade's mm. good, it's, it's a good thing. But if you drown yourself in lemonade, you, you never die. get to enjoy lemonade again. You never get to enjoy anything again because you've drowned. <laughs> yeah, you're dead. D E D dead um yeah i know so i've actually so in in kind of slowing down a little bit uh there's been a few like little rules that my wife and i've that one one rule that my wife and i put together and then another for just myself and um so on youtube on my computers i have this thing that just eliminates all the clutter so there's no youtube homepage. yep I think you told told us about that on the podcast. Actually. Oh man, I'll have to cut it. this bit out. But the other thing that we decided is we um, sometimes after you know we we would we would eat dinner and and then just watch TV sometimes at the dinner table. You know, either we were having dessert or whatever, wow. and then we would waste more time than we intended to. And so we have a projector, and if we're going to use it, then it takes a little bit of setup, and usually we're watching a, an actual movie or something. Uh-huh. That we're intending to watch, which is fine. But right. the rule that we made is simply like, if we want to watch anything, it has to be on that. So there's That's a good rule. There's just a little yeah. bit, there's enough friction there where it's like, we're not going to like it. it you don't it, have the mindless just next, next, next. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and and this also makes me think of which um, I've probably said on this podcast because I find it so helpful to it's a it's a helpful thought um, for me to have on a consistent basis because I, I can tend to do this. But how do you know what you think if you never let yourself just that meditation aspect yeah. of getting rid of on? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like how much time do you spend in a day not listening to? And this is a question for me mostly, but not listening to a podcast, not listening to music, not interacting with somebody, not not having any input from outside other than mm-hmm. like if you're driving, you have input, but it's not that much. And even just like sitting and being and like being okay with, you know, it's a sign to me that something's wrong if... I've had no time to let my mind think because it means I'm trying to avoid thinking about something. That's a sign. It's like an early warning sign for me. Have you ever talked to non-Christians who have that mentality of, I just need to keep going so I don't have to think? Because I feel like for Christians, there's sort of, there's something I like, there's something you can call me to if I'm, if I'm just Mm. going, 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 that's better. But for, I guess I can call non-believers to bow bow the knee to christ that's not going to usually be helpful at least not as an approach right right and i guess that's why i threw that out there because that's that's the ultimate end goal but what is in your mind so how i would talk to a non-christian about that which the people who i spend the most time with who aren't christian are my wife's coworkers, um and i get on with them pretty well um and one of them might listen to this podcast. Uh, probably not, though. She's very busy. Um, but I would just ask the question something along the lines of, like, why do you, you know, if they if they brought that up or I mm-hmm. noticed it, if I noticed it, then that means that I'm spending a lot of time with them. Mm-hmm. But I would ask like a question. I would basically just try to put a rock in their shoe about it. Why is it, do you think, that you're always, like always going, going, going and not letting yourself just sit and think. And actually the person who I, who asked that question that I first heard was CGP gray, who's not a Christian. 
Oh, from I don't remember the name of that podcast. It's okay. It's not been going since 2014. We don't need to talk about it. Man, I can't tell if I can't see your face, man. There we go. Has it really? Did it stop? Stopped in 2014. Interesting. Yeah, I the they only go reason, off to do other things. What's that? They yeah, go off to do other things. I mean, one of them produces a YouTube video, uh, or like several YouTube videos a week, and he's been doing that okay. since 2010 or something. Um, the other has a different a different podcast and produce and like but gets gets more views than the other guy does on like all of his videos but the one is uh is very very sciencey like that's his his kind of thing i think they're still okay. friends um yeah but yeah they just felt like they had talked as much as they wanted to you know publish publish i guess maybe maybe cgp Grey got tired of editing i don't know no, no one would ever get tired of it. <laughs> you would know. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Never. Uh, yeah. I missed a week, by the way. I don't know if you noticed. I think my wife did. Oh, man. Um, anyway. Well, Kyle, I don't have anything else. It's been really uh, good chat. Uh, how are the knife sales going? Uh, yep, gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little work to do. Sorry, buddy. It's been busy. Are you, are you still are you still working on the ad? Uh, I'm working on the the packaging. Oh, you're you're like making it. Are you ma- making yeah. a woodworking packaging? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I I'm definitely so- thought when you said packaging, like you were gonna put together this really cool Craigslist ad. And no, 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 no. Uh. Uh-uh. Okay. No, I'm literally making a box and a sheath for it out of wood. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's that's what I. Th- that's so much cooler than the Craigslist ad I thought you were putting together. And definitely more work. Yeah, more work. That's for sure. All right. But I do actually have to go. I'm sorry that I haven't gotten you your money back. Uh, they're no, really no, no, nice no. knives, though. Uh, this, this is, this, I'm, I mean, you, I really want to see a picture when you're done. Okay. It'll be, uh, I'll send you, I'll send you pro- progress photos this weekend. You should put that up in the blog. I could do. For Socratic Hobbits. Yeah, if you're interested in buying a knife that my brother-in-law made, they're really nice. Um, and and Daniel's going to be making some really awesome boxes. <laughs> no, I will be making passable boxes. But don't you think that'd be a cool thing to put up on the blog? Just yeah, like, I do. I do. Where I'm at. Yeah. Did you see I put a post up? Uh, did you put a second post up? No, just the one. Yeah, I did. Do you, what do you think about? I was I was kind of contemplating basically turning the four lectures into four blog posts. That'd be cool. Bye. Are you still there? Hey guys, Daniel again. Thanks for listening. Well, it's happened again. You've wasted another perfectly good hour listening to Socratic Hobbits. You can send fan mail, hate mail, or the answer to this week's puzzler to Socratic Village Green, Box 35,000, Soft Verd Circle, Vancouver, Our Fair City. Wa nine eight 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 eight, and even though Guy Raz thanks his stars whenever he hears us say it, this is not NPR.